have your Bibles, I would appreciate it if you would turn to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to be reading some verses out of chapter 8 and some other verses out of chapter 9. We have been for a number of weeks talking about conforming to His image and growing in the Lord. And today, since we are also kicking off our campaign to uh, replace these broken down pews with new chairs and uh, replacing the carpet in the sanctuary and, and purchasing a new van, we're starting this campaign of, of enhancing the house of the Lord. I want to talk to you today about the area of radical giving, which is a biblical concept. Now, I recognize that there is always this tear in the heart of every pastor as it comes to preaching the Word of God as it relates to money because we hear the criticism of people saying, our pastor, all he ever talks about is money. Now, if you're a guest here today and this is the first time that you've been to this church, I want you to know that's not all I ever talk about. In fact, I rarely talk about it. Maybe not as much as I should for fear that you will think that's all they ever talk about. However, the Lord Jesus has some specific instructions as it relates to the way that we handle the tool of money and our relationship with Him. And I would like to talk to you today about some of those things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, the Scripture says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do so as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So I urged Titus, since he had earlier made in the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this giving of grace. I'm not commanding you, but I want, you, uh, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Turn, if you would, to chapter 9. Beginning with there, at the beginning of chapter 9, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year... You and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that 
In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Within this passage of Scripture, you're beginning to catch the pastoral heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. Bill Kirk, who's a dear friend of mine and serves as the assistant superintendent of the New York District of the Assemblies of God, is, is one of my hunting and fishing partners. And since we get up early in the morning on some mornings and we drive about an hour and a half to where we get to hunt, we get to talk about a lot of things. And I was telling him what was going on here and that we were getting to launch this campaign. And he said, you're not going to believe this. He says, but I just finished doing a study on that passage and, and have a lot of notes. Do you want them? And I said, absolutely, I want them. Because if any of you know Bill Kirk, his notes are always good. And so I give credit to Bill Kirk for a lot of these notes this morning. He told me I didn't have to say that, but just in case he ever listens to this online, I just want him to know that I love him enough to give him some credit where credit is due. We find within this particular passage of Scripture that Paul's words contain the most extensive teaching about Christian giving that's found in the entire New Testament. The principles that are given here are a guide for us as individual believers as well as churches. And there are some people that I've had sit in my office and question me about, you know, the, the pur purpose of tithing and is it a scriptural principle and, you know, that the Bible doesn't really say things. Let me just share with you some of what the Bible says as it relates to scriptures about giving. Luke 6.38, give and it shall be given to you. Then it says, give generously and your gifts will return to you later on in Ecclesiastes 11. Happy is the one who gives to the needy, says in Proverbs 22. He that sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully in 2 Corinthians 9. Whatever someone sows, they will also reap, Galatians 6. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops or income. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing in Proverbs 3. He that earns wages but does not include the Lord, puts them in a bag full of holes, it says in Haggai 1. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it, in Malachi 3. The Bible is full of indications that God responds to the generosity of his people. In fact, if you look through the Bible, you will discover that during building programs, people sacrificed. During an offering, a woman gave her last two coins. During a lunch meal, a little boy came up and he gave his whole lunch to Jesus, and it turned out pretty good for all of them. During church growth, people bought land and, and bought things so that they or sold things so that they could come and bring money into the church. During the Passover week, Mary broke an alabaster box that was worth a year's wages just to prove her love to the Lord. And in our text this morning, Paul is beginning to talk about a need that had arisen. And the church in Corinth had promised over a year ago that they would give toward this need in Jerusalem. And so he is reminding them, I just want you to know I haven't forgotten about the promise that you made to help those saints who were stricken in Jerusalem. And since a year had gone by, Paul began in his letter to write them, to remind them, and also to compare to them what had been done in the Macedonian church. And let me give you a little history about the Macedonian church because it speaks volumes as to why he included this in his letter. The Macedonian at the church at that time was one of the poorest of the poor. 
but yet they were giving without flesh, without flash, without frills, without carnality, without deception, without manipulation. They were giving without being intimidated, and they were giving without being pressured. And he said, I want to hold this church to you as an example of what happens when people give generously to the Lord and how they do so out of a heart of love. And if you have your outline and your bulletin, the first point I want to talk to you about today is that radical giving begins in the heart. Radical giving begins in the heart. In the text that we read in 2 Corinthians 8, chapter, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What he begins to tell them is that this Macedonian church, the reason that they're giving is because they understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his grace that we respond. And regardless of what was happening in their life, their hearts had been touched by his grace. And they were responding out of love. In fact, a little history tells us that the Macedonian economy had hit rock bottom by now. A lot of the believers in the Macedonian church had lost their jobs. Some of those in the church, having received Jesus Christ, because of the area around Macedonia at the time, had lost their jobs because they had been banned from the trade guilds because they would no longer bow down and worship the idols of the city. Because of their beliefs, they were being excluded from the jobs. In spite of all of that, these believers were giving in spite of their trials, in spite of their poverty, in spite of their afflictions. Verse 3 says, They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, Paul says. What that means is as he's speaking to the Corinthian church, he's saying, here's a church that is nowhere near the condition that you guys are at. But because of the spiritual nature of their hearts, they are responding in great ways and God is blessing them in great ways. They're not making excuses. They're not letting circumstances hinder them from taking part in what God is doing. Even in their poverty, they are giving. I was holding a missions convention in Dodge City, Kansas a number of years ago. It was one of my joys in serving as the district youth director to be able to travel around the nation because I'm a missionary's kid. People thought that maybe I could speak to missions. And this one particular Sunday, I was there and we were preaching in the morning and the evening service and they were going to be taking an offering that night and, and I preached on the joy of giving and investing in the mission that God was doing and, and uh, it was a wonderful congregation made up of so many different people. That evening as I finished the message and we began to take the offering, there was a, a lady that came in the doors. She was dressed in a rather raggedy looking coat and had three little boys that were following along with her and she carried a jar of change and as she was coming down the aisle, I was standing next to the pastor and he instantly began to burst into tears. And I leaned over to him and I said, what's going on here? He said, before I tell you, I need to go down. And he took the microphone and he went down there to interview this little mother. What had happened is this particular woman, her husband had left her, left her high and dry, disappeared, had no idea where he went. The church had been taking care of her, giving them food so that they could eat, helping them out the best way they could just so that these little boys could survive. People had, had been donating things and giving clothes to them. And here 
she was coming with a missions offering and her testimony was this when we heard the word of the Lord this morning we felt that we needed to do something she said so we went to Walmart today and with their permission we set up a table in the front of the store and she says as people were leaving I was just asking them would you be willing to give any extra change that you may have even if it's a penny so that we can help participate in the missions thrust of our church she came that night with a jar and she said this I don't want my boys to ever grow up thinking that we are too poor to participate in giving to the Lord and she gave her offering of over $20 and change that they had accumulated you see giving to the Lord is never a money issue it's always a heart issue because it speaks to the priorities of the things that we are important as I saw that woman I began to think of that must be what it was like for the Macedonians because in verse 4 it said they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service now I've been in a lot of offering times I have yet to see people begging please take my offering please don't miss me I'm over here I have seen people that got missed that got up and said I need to find them but that the wording that Paul used here is this church this poor church was urgently pleading with him don't ignore us just because it doesn't look like we can give because we want to participate in what's going on and he says there was no pressure there was no pleading, there was no manipulation, no guilt, no sales pitch. They only had an eagerness to meet a need because they had the heartbeat of God within them. And I want you to know something. To the best of our ability here as pastors of this church, we don't want to burden you with things. We don't want you to feel like it's manipulation to get you to give to the Lord. I don't even know what you give in tithes and offerings. The only records I ever see are of my deacons. Because if they're going to serve with me in leadership, they need the accountability that I know what they give. And so it's not like I'm trying to manipulate into something. I'm trying to teach the word of the Lord to you as it relates to that. That giving is always a matter of the heart. Verse 5 says, and they didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. I want you to know something. It is, it is a blessing after you come to know Jesus Christ to be able to give back to him what he has done. When you give yourself first to the Lord, everything else falls in place. The, the believers had surrendered their lives to the Lord first before their giving, and then they surrendered their heart, and giving was an outflow of their love. Secondly, Radical giving understands God's grace. In verse 9 it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes, for our sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now we just had communion a moment ago. You held within your hand the element of the broken body of the Lord which demonstrates very clearly that he loved you enough to die and pay a penalty you could not pay yourself we held the element of the blood which is the new covenant in the Lord's blood that says that he paid it for good on the cross he said it is finished the price has been paid all we had to do was receive the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ 
Radical giving comes from understanding what we have been given. Even though it was free to us, it cost him everything. We receive that freely. But understanding that grace and understanding that he gave up the riches of heaven and became poor for our sake so that we could join him in a heavenly reward that we do not deserve helps us to understand his grace. And spiritually healthy people understand that this is what motivates us in our giving to the Lord. It's the grace that God extended to us. As we have begun to talk about how we should measure our own spiritual growth within our lives, and as we look back, there should be discernible, definable steps that we have grown in. Giving should be one of those steps. If you find yourself challenged in the area of giving, you're going to be hindered in growth in a lot of areas because it demonstrates a lack of understanding of the grace that God has given to us. And so the more you grow in love with God, the more your generosity will be evident. In fact, there's an interesting dimension to Paul's letter. And you can find it in verses 7 through 9 of this. He said, but since you excel in everything, he's talking to the Corinthian church, he's bragging on him. He goes, you guys are awesome. You excel in everything. And then he begins this list that describes for them their spiritual growth journey. He said, you excel in faith. They were great at praying and believing in faith. He said, you excel in speech, which also means the ability that they had to share with others their faith experience. You excel in sharing your testimony. You excel in leading people to Christ. You excel in your ability to talk about the Lord Jesus with people. He said, you excel in your knowledge. You have amazing knowledge of what God has done and how to explain that. And he said, you excel in your complete earnestness. In other words, your your heart is in the right place. And he said, and you excel in the love that you have for us. You excel in all of these areas. And then he adds this. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. The grace of giving. Part of your spiritual development. You start out by faith. You receive his gift through faith. Then you learn to express it and and you've talked to others about it. And through all of this, he's saying this is the progressive growth of growing Christians. See to it then that the grace of your giving matches your growth in every other area of your life. And then he says this, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I'm not commanding you, but holding up your example to a poor Macedonian church, I want to see how you compare in the grace of giving to people who have so much less. And then he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's saying Jesus became poor for your benefit. You're living in the glorious riches of his grace. You were forgiven. You have an eternal home, and you couldn't buy it. It was because somebody else bought it for you. So understanding his grace, be free to give. In a nutshell, Paul told them, if Jesus sacrificed to save me eternally, I can sacrifice something temporarily. Thirdly, radical giving is a matter of faith, not income. There's an old story that most of you have probably heard about, about two old men that were having a conversation about giving in their church, and one of the old men looked at the other one and said, how are you doing in your giving? And the guy says, well, if I had a million dollars, I'd give 100,000 of it to the Lord. He says, really? He says, 
What about 100,000? Well, if I had 100,000 of it, I would gladly give 10,000 of it to the Lord. And he says, well, what about 100? He goes, hey, hey, that's not fair. You know I've only got $100. So many times we make promises to God based on if you will bless me and if you will give me this amount and if you will do this, I promise that I will respond to you in my abundance and give back to you out of my abundance. But it's not always the abundance that demonstrates to God the depth of our love and the depth of our faith in Him. It's, Lord, you bless me with a great income. I promise I will recognize you. 2 Corinthians 8, 15 says, As it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. This was Paul making a reference to some things that took place in Exodus chapter 16 talking about the Jews when they were collecting manna. No matter how much manna they gathered each day, it was always enough to supply the need. And there were three lessons in this for them. Gather what you need, share what you can, and don't try to hoard it because it will rot. Gather what you need, share what you can, and don't try to hoard it because it will rot. The lesson to us is that God will see to it that you never, never lack if you believe His Word. If you believe his word for salvation, you can believe his word for provision. Which was harder for him to do for you? So the example of God taking care of Israel in the Old Testament guarantees that he will take care of you and I in the New Testament. But there is a step of belief and faith that you must take in this in order to reap the benefits of what God is explaining to us. It takes faith to believe that God will honor his word as it relates to your life. It takes faith to share what you have when there are others in need. It takes faith to give and believe that as a result of your giving, God will take care of you. It takes faith to sow seed instead of keeping it for yourself, thinking this way God won't have to take care of me because I can take care of myself. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What Paul is doing here is he's appealing to a group of people that probably understood the law of the farmer. I like this because I'm a farm kid. It appeals to me. I know what it's like the sowing and the reaping aspect of that. What he is saying is that the farmer has to decide every spring just how much he wants to invest in seed because there was an upfront expense to it that required them either to save some from the harvest before or to buy what they needed. But they also recognized that the more seed they planted, the greater the income would be from it because the harvest would be bigger. He applies this to our lives and he says, this is the decision that we who are believers in Jesus Christ have to come to all the time. What kind of harvest do we want in eternity? Because in order to have it, we have to learn to sow that kind of field. The sower determines the size of the harvest. The sower has faith that his seed will multiply. The sower believes that God gets involved and he will prove himself if you will trust him. Fourthly, radical giving brings great joy great joy. I told you about that woman that came and brought her coins. She was so joyful to be able to take something 
that they had seen God bring to them and present it to the Lord as a thank you offering even though they had nothing even though they were being taken care of it was with great joy that she brought that one of my greatest pleasures through the years has been seeing God speak to different families about different things and I remember one very clearly where a family came in a very unexpected way had received an inheritance and they came and they gave an offering that was bigger than anything they'd ever done before and this was their words we've always wanted to do something like this we've always wanted to do something like this and with great joy they handed over a check to begin to help with the work of the Lord with great joy in their heart not looking at the amount they were given thinking this is really going to hurt but understanding that we are sowing into the kingdom of God we've always wanted to do this there's joy in the heart of those who understand what God has done. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 said, Each man or woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. There was a church that I attended once as a guest speaker, and at the offering time, they made everybody stand up and start laughing and clapping. At the time, I thought, well, that's unusual. The reason is because they took this Greek word for cheerful giver, which comes from the Greek word hilarion, which means we develop our word hilarious, which means that we should be hilarious when we give our offerings to the Lord. It should be that kind of joy. And... Uh, as they took that seriously, it was wonderful to see the people with such great joy bringing their offerings to the Lord, laughing as they came with the joy of the Lord. It was something new for me. Took it very seriously, and I enjoyed that aspect of it. The other side of that is that he said that we shouldn't have to give grudgingly. What that really indicates to us is people feeling like They've been manipulated. And this is the danger of the church, and I understand it. I understand that we have seen enough unscrupulous evangelists, things of that nature, which have manipulated this, as if you will just seed into my ministry, God will give you this, or we will send you this prayer thing and this and that. And I'm not saying that all of them are unscrupulous, but I know many of them that are. To the point where that has begun to seep down, even in the local church, where people begin to be afraid of, of I feel manipulated I'm giving but I don't want to I'm feeling I have to do this out of obedience because it's the right thing to do but I hate this and that's exactly opposite of what the Lord is asking of us it's one of the reasons why I want so much to keep the finances of our church within your hands that's why every month we put in the bulletin this is what's come in this is what's gone out so you know right where we're at what's coming in if I keep a light on that then you will never have any questions that's why one of the joys of our year is having our annual business meeting because there's no secrets and there's no hiding things you know where everything is you know what comes in you know what goes out it's the money that you have given to the Lord and there's an accountability on our part as leaders to make sure that we honor God with that I don't ever want you to feel manipulated or that there's something hidden going on. Because I've recognized through the years that when people begin to feel that their leaders are hiding something, they lose the ability to receive the word of the Lord from them. 
And there's nothing more important to me than being able to have some sort of a spiritual influence in your life. And so he says, there are those that feel like they have to give grudgingly. They feel forced or manipulated because they're trying to impress somebody or doing something they don't want to do. But he says, I love cheerful givers, those that just give, and you're giving unto the Lord, knowing that he's keeping records of it. You see, cheerful giving loves to give because it understands what God has given. Cheerful giving loves to give because it wants others to find what they have found in Jesus. Cheerful giving loves to give because they love their church family and they want it to grow in size and influence. How many of you are glad that you're giving results in lost people being rescued? How many of you are glad that you can give with a smile because it makes you feel good inside knowing that God is honoring you and you honoring him? How many of you know that givers are happier than takers? Lastly, radical giving reveals a spirit of heartfelt gratitude. One of the mission services that I was speaking at in West Virginia, a little, little church in the middle of coal country in the mountains. At the end of the service, there was a young couple that had come up, and I thought I had recognized him early in the service, and he came up, and he was the part-time youth pastor working a full-time job outside and was working with the youth and he came up with the young lady and he introduced me to introduced her to me as this is my fiance and i said well congratulations when are you getting married he goes well this it's interesting he said we were planning on getting married in a couple of months but we felt both of us we've saved five thousand dollars for a year for our wedding but both of us felt at the same time the lord speaking to us that we needed to give the money that we have saved for our wedding to give it to the lord and that we will postpone our wedding for another year and they came and shared with their pastor that money. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I could do that. I remember thinking, you, you have really heard from God when sacrifice comes at such personal expense. I remember asking their pastor a year or so later how it went. He says, you know what? He says, they didn't have to wait the whole year. There were some things that they did. They really downsized their wedding. It was just a few months delay, he says, but they gave what they had saved because they knew that having souls in heaven as a result of their gift was more important than a few months of being married. That, to me, indicated heartfelt gratitude. On behalf of two people that love the Lord Jesus Christ, what motivates radical givers and radical giving? I think it's found in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be unto God for his undescribable gift. I was in Costco on a date with my wife yesterday. Don't knock it till you tried it. <laughs> And I heard pumping over the sound system the first Christmas carol of the year. And I had to stop for a moment. Of course, I sing to everything, which just embarrasses her, which makes the date even more fun. And, uh, we're, getting, we're getting close to the gift-giving season because instantly my mind went to, what's the grandkids' list look like? And you hope that when you give a gift to a loved one that they open it up and that there is some sense of thankfulness in them. Those of you that may have very young kids or young grandkids and they open up and they look up and they say, what's next? 
you understand that that's the age they're at. You hope they'll grow out of that. But you hope when you give gifts that there's a sense of heartfelt gratitude. For us as believers, we give our tithes because it belongs to the Lord. We give our offerings as a sense of gratitude to His undescribable, undescribable gift. There's coming a time when His church will go to meet Him and we will walk into a place where the cement of heaven is our most valuable gold. Where he says, you can let your mind go wild and you can't even imagine what it's going to be like here. It's an indescribable gift that he's given to us. And so we give out of our hearts and said, I'm grateful that you sent your son. I'm grateful that he died for my sins. I'm grateful for the privilege of participating in your great work. I'm grateful for your life, your word, his church, his sanctuary, his everything. I give because I'm grateful. And your giving testifies to the city that we are grateful for God for his greatest gift in Jesus. It testifies to everything in life belonging to God, according to Psalm 24. It testifies that our obedience gains more than our disobedience takes back. Listen to this. It testifies that your obedience will gain more for you than your disobedience will hold back for you. It testifies that gratitude in giving is a sign that our faith is active in the God who keeps his word. And so our tithe is mathematically a tenth, according to Genesis 28. Of all you give, I will give a tenth. That belongs to God. Our tithe is scripturally a command in Deuteronomy 14. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all your field's produce each year. The tithe is spiritually a blessing in Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that you will not have room enough for it. The tithe is emotionally a joy when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so remember, friends, that we don't buy God's blessing with our money, but we gain God's blessing through our obedience. The degree of our gratitude will be the degree of our generosity. And what Paul does in this passage is bring Jesus' salvation into our giving patterns. And it reminds us of the gospel. He tells us to think about how costly the grace was that was given to us at the cross. And he tells us to meditate and ponder on what Jesus did until it changes our hearts into generous hearts. And the result of applying God's word in our life is that I don't have to worry about money when I give to the Lord. The cross proves that if Jesus will take care of my eternity, he certainly will take care of me here. I don't have to envy anybody else's possessions and I can be content with a giving heart because thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Karen, if you'd please come to the instrument. Bill Kirk gave me a little thing that has seven principal quotes that I want to read to you before we take an offering. It's this, number one, love never empties the heart and giving never empties the purse. Two, we shovel it out, God shovels it in, and his shovel is bigger than your shovel. Three, making money is how you make a living. Giving it away is how you make a life. Number four, in heaven we will all be rewarded for what he gave, not for what he received. Think about it.
about that. Your reward is going to be based on what you gave, not what you received. Number five, no one can be happy who thinks only of themselves. Number six, the greater you're giving, the greater you're living. Number seven, this came from Billy Graham. God's given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. And then in the Message Bible, there's this great interpretation of Proverbs 11:24 that says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. We're kicking off a campaign today because we want the Lord's house to look nice and we want to be able to the purchase of a van to reach more people than we've ever reached before. Just this week, I got a call from somebody who said, live up on Howlett Hill Road. He said, I would love to come to your church, but I don't have a ride. How can I get there? And I said, we are working on that. His name's Adam. People are calling us to come. So for those of you who are faithful members and tithers, I thank you. I want you to know God keeps a record of everything you give. For those of you that are feeling prompted the Lord in your heart toward this campaign to give something maybe greater than you've ever done before, I want you to know God's keeping records and it will come from a joyful heart because it demonstrates trust in the Lord. Today we're going to take this a little bit different because I'm going to ask my deacons if they will come. Those that are, that are here this morning, please come to the front. And, because the Bible talks about bringing your offerings to the Lord. Bringing your offerings to the Lord. Men, there's some plates right up here in the front that I'd like you to get a hold of. today, make them out to Grace Assembly. You have your giving envelope, you can certainly put that there. This is not to manipulate or to put pressure, but we are going to be biblical in bringing our offerings before the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand as I pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray, I pray right now that people that are here today would receive the word as you intended it to be received. I thank you that you meet our needs and that you give us wisdom, Lord. 
Father, you have given to us a building that right now is paid off, and for that we give you great thanks because there have been others that have gone before us that have sacrificed to make sure we have it. And now it is our turn in our generation to make sure that it looks nice so that are come to Christ. Likewise, Lord Jesus, we need a man. And Father, we're not willing to go into debt over this. We want to raise the money because we feel that that's what you would have us to do so that I don't have to stand here and put pressure on people to give to a debt that was unwise for us to get into. So Lord, I ask you to help us to be generous with our offerings today as we kick off this campaign. Help us to give what is placed upon our hearts to give in honor to you, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name.